good morning, church. How are you? You good? Everybody good? Man, the ball games wore you out last night, didn't they? Yesterday. Go dogs. That's right. All right, go Blazers. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. Jordan, I guess. Joel. Yeah, shout out. That's right. So glad you're here. Happy holiday weekend to you guys. Um, Real excited about this series we're in. Um, we're in week four of a series called Eight Traits of a Disciple. And uh, we've been talking, we've been walking through the book of Acts, right? Um, and of course, the, the full title of that book is The Acts of the Apostles. And, and so we're identifying what we believe to be markers of the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus. We're identifying eight things. Of course, I think we could probably come up with more maybe. Right, so it's not all inclusive, but we believe there. We there are eight things I believe that we believe that will mark the life of a disciple of Jesus. Certainly, you and I could come up with uh, an extensive list. And so we've been challenged every week to think, pray, reflect, and see how we can follow Jesus better. Amen. Like that's all. That's just kind of right. We we all could do a better job at, at following Jesus. Uh, to act like he acts, to walk and talk like he talks. And so uh, we have a definition. We've come up with a definition for this series of what a disciple is. And, and basically, this is for our purposes, this is what the definition is. A disciple is someone who listens, learns, and acts. A disciple is someone who listens, learns, and acts. Now, by the way, if you're, if, if you're, I didn't say this at the top, but if you're a the first time visitor, we want to say special welcome to you. If you're watching online, glad you're with us. Um, uh, we, we're, we're so excited about what God is doing in this series. I've been challenged immensely by this series. Uh, because, you know, when we talk about what it means to be a disciple, you know, we're going we're gonna to hit one of those, one or two, uh, hopefully all of them, where we go, man, I'm just not doing that very well right now. Man, I'm lacking in that area, but... With, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit and with God working in me, I'm going to get there, right? That's kind of where we are. So in week one, we talked about the fact that disciples are communal. They are communal, right? Community is important here. We believe that. We believe that we cannot grow without community. Christ-centered community is essential to the life of a believer. We believe that's where transformation happens. We believe that's where you grow the most. We're kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron, brothers and sisters pulling in the same direction, trying to become more like Jesus, right? We just look, at, you, know, you know, if you're isolated in your, in, your, in your walk with Christ, you're not going to get very far. You might accumulate a lot of knowledge, a lot of piety, but, but uh, it, it, it will, it will come, fall short when it comes to bringing that gospel to the world that needs it, right? So, what we've been doing is we've been walking through Acts, and so week one was a disciple is communal. Week two, we talked about the fact that a disciple is biblical, biblical, right? We believe that the Bible, that Scripture is the foundation of our life. Without it, without it, right, we just, we, we, there's, there's no foundation at all, right? We have experiences, experiences. We're left to experiences, so the Bible is a foundation, the, the Word of God is the foundation of our lives. And, and of course, last week, Shannon talked about how we should be generous. A, a disciple is generous. 
We serve a generous God. Amen, right? God is, is generosity personified. Like what kind of God steps out of eternity, outside of space and time, into our frailty and does what he did on a cross, gives his life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm having trouble with this mic, Josh. I apologize. There we go. Hopefully, no, it's going to stop popping. Apologize. That's annoying. So disciple is communal. He's, he or she is biblical. A disciple is generous. And today we want to talk about disciples being prepared. A disciple is prepared. He's ready. Ready for what? The premise behind this idea of being prepared is this. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. It says, be ready to give an answer for why you believe what you believe. Be ready at all times to give an answer for why you believe what you believe. Why you subscribe to the Christian life. Why you believe that Jesus is who we hear that he is. Be ready. Be prepared. If we have eternal hope in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then we need to be prepared and ready to articulate that to the world. Right? How do we do that? Well, we want to turn to Acts chapter 17. Um, and, and this is just one example of many in this great book. You know, Acts is, uh, was kind of like the aftermath of Jesus leaving earth, sending the Holy Spirit to empower us to be the church, spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And, and we have all these great stories of people like Peter and Paul and these, these apostles spreading out all over that part of the world in, 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 in what is now Europe and Asia Minor and Egypt and, and, these play, and of course, the, the, the Middle Eastern part of the world and just infiltrating society after society town after town, city after city with the good news of Jesus. And people, thousands of people, by the thousands are giving their hearts to Jesus. By the thousands. The very first sermon ever preached under the power of the Holy Spirit was Peter. He stood up after Pentecost and he preached one message to articulate the gospel to the world and 3,000 plus people gave their hearts to Jesus. 3,000 plus people were baptized into the Holy Spirit. Man. And that power, the same power, that to happen is accessible to us. Accessible to us. We need to be prepared. And so in 17, Acts 17, we see Paul and his friend Silas. And they're preaching and explaining the good news of Christ to all these Greek provinces and Jews and Greeks alike. And anyone who would listen, actually. And what you see all throughout Acts is how the gospel of Jesus, the good news, that he is the Messiah, that he came to redeem mankind and, and, and cleanse us from our sin and redeem us from death through his life, death, and resurrection. The simple message of the gospel. We see that infiltrated all these societies in, that, in, in the book of Acts. And so this is just one example in, in Acts 17. Paul is preaching to Jews and Greeks, and he stands before all these people, and he goes into 
this synagogue and he goes into this forum and he, and he stands before this council and they do, the, and they, they say, look, with boldness they go, look, I'm here for one purpose, to share with you the good news that there is a Savior, there is a Messiah and he is here and he is ready to save and he is ready to redeem mankind from their sins. So let's read together in Acts chapter 17. The first four verses, it goes like this. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and then to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He reasoned with the people using the scriptures and proved that Jesus was the Messiah. This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah, he says. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. And it goes on and on, and he stands before this council, and he goes into this synagogue, and he goes before this group of people, and he says, I've got good news. Some didn't take it as good news. You know, the end result of preaching the gospel in the first century was death. Much like many of our Iranian brothers and sisters right this second are losing their lives for the gospel's sake. It's the first century church in Iran right now. Something to think about. Are they prepared? I would imagine they are. Because it's life and death over there. So he's preaching the gospel here. And now we need to establish something before we go further. And, and here's, here, it's this. However you view yourself this morning, you need to know that you are called to be preachers. You all are preachers and ministers of the gospel. You might not be called to vocational ministry like me or Shannon. You might never earn a, a full-time a, a, a position at a church anywhere. You might never earn a seminary degree. But if you have been saved and justified by Christ through salvation, you have been justified by Jesus. And, you, and if you have accepted Jesus' sacrifice for your sin and surrendered your heart to him as Savior, made him Lord of your life, God has put a call on your life to preach. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no, there's no wiggle room in that. There's a call on your life to preach. If you claim Jesus as Savior, there's a call in your life to preach the gospel. So the first thing we need to do to pre prepare, to be prepared to preach the gospel is to know the word. It's so simple. It's so applicable. And if you've heard it since you were three. But to know the word, know your Bible, know Jesus. This goes back to a couple weeks ago when Shannon said that one of the the traits of a disciple is to be biblical, right? Meaning we are people as Christ followers that found their lives on the truth of Scripture, nothing else. The Word of God should be the, of the utmost importance to us. By the way, we cannot ever hope to know or to follow Jesus without knowing the Word of God. We cannot know Jesus and follow Jesus and trust in Jesus or share Jesus without knowing the Word of God. 
We cannot, will not ever. It is that critical. Now, I'm not talking about being a Bible scholar or a seminary grad. You don't have to do any of that stuff to know the word of God. The depth of my relationship with Jesus is directly related to time spent in the word of God. The depth of my relationship with Christ is directly related to my time spent in the word of God. Meditating on, studying, memorizing, taking it to heart, rolling it over to my brain and my heart, letting God reform me into his image, right? There's no way around it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly explains the word of truth. The NIV version of this says, who, the, so be a person who correctly handles the word of truth. Some versions say rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly divide the word of truth. Basically, what that means is to correctly explain the word of truth. We need to, need to study, meditate on God's word, allow the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it, what it means, and to share it with others. See, the word of God, the Bible says it's like a sword. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it's called the sword of the Spirit. Paul refers to this when he's talking about the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. When I was a kid in church, in Bible school, and in youth group, we had these things called sword drills. Man, if you're a kid of the 70s, 80s, 90s, raise your hand if you ever participated in a, in a, in a Bible drill. We call them sword drills. They're kind of out of fashion now. They're cheesy. Everybody's like giggling, laughing when, I, when we mention it, Bible drills. You get, like, you'd be like lined up up front. You'd, you'd like, ooh, me, 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 me. Like you'd have your Bible. Actually, when they actually brought Bibles to church. If it stings, it's okay. I mean, if it stings, it's all right. Ain't from me. When they actually brought paper Bibles to church instead of a Bible app, and they were scribbled all in it and highlighted and stuff. I mean, we can get back to that, right? Okay, side note. Stepping off pedestal on that. Soapbox, I mean. So we'd be up there, you know, and you had to be like, you know, postured like so, whatever. And you'd sit in your chair and like, and wait for some whistle or air horn or something. And they'd like, you know, the youth pastor, the Sunday school teacher, be like yelling out a scripture passage or a verse. And you're like, yeah. And like, oh, no, I dropped my Bible. And like falling on the ground, diving for the Bible so that we can get whatever the, you know, sucker, blow pop, whatever the, uh, the prize was for getting there first. For real, bribing kids, man. What? Bribing kids. Know the word of God. I mean, it ain't all bad, right? So it'd just be this obscure verse somewhere in Ezekiel. It meant nothing like, usually it would, it would have something, some context to it or some substance, but sometimes it'd just be these random verses that make any sense. Or these weird Greek names that, you, that this five-year-old, this eight-year-old is trying to pronounce. It's hilarious. And so you'd win the sword drill, the Bible drill, and get a prize. But I think there's beauty in that because it taught us how to know the geography and the landscape of the Bible. We just don't know it anymore. We just aren't training our people and our churches as a whole to know the geography and the landscape of the Word of God. 
We need to desperately, church, let's get back to that. Let's get back to knowing where things are and not just Googling them. Hey, God bless Google because, I, in, in fact, this week, like I'm like quoting a verse sort of loosely and there's like, yeah, where's that verse at? Like, I, I don't know. And like, Google. And I start typing in what I think the verse is and I find it. It just brings it right up. So God bless Google. We can redeem Google, amen, for the, for the kingdom of God. But we need to know, I need to know where that verse is. And I'm not saying I need to, to get a, go get a seminary degree to do so. I just need to spend more time in the word of God. I need to know the word of God. I need to know what, what, what God wants to say to me, not just to know it for knowledge's sake. I don't need to fill my brain. I need to fill my heart with the truth of Scripture, right? It's not about filling your brain. It's filling your heart with the truth. It's hiding God's word in your heart. How do you think it gets there? We read, we study, we meditate, we memorize Scripture. It cannot be overstated. You need to know the word of God to know Jesus at all, and not just the Gospels. So the first way we are prepared to preach the gospel to a dying world is to know the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is like a sword. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It expresses our innermost thoughts and desires. So the word of God is a weapon, and any weapon should be rightly handled can't just be carelessly wielded. You know what I mean? Any weapons collectors in here? Any hunters? Man, you, some of y'all got a whole arsenal at home. Some of y'all got a, a gun safe larger than this stage up here. You be looking. Save the big thing like my arsenal. It's all right. Should, should I say that? I don't know if I should say that. So the, when the word of God is mentioned as a sword, I love this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great 19th century British preacher. He says this about the word of God. He said, swords are meant to cut and hack and wound and kill. And the word of truth is for cutting to the heart of man and to kill their sins. The word of God is not committed to God's ministers to amuse men with its glitter, nor to charm them with the jewels of its hilt, but to conquer their souls for Jesus. Man, we could just say amen and go home. Thank you, Spurgeon. Swords are to be handled with care. Amen? Can't be reckless. The great example that I give, like to give is, you know, the modern day example, this would be a gun. We talked about gun safes. And I remember my dad, you know, the earliest memories of me holding a gun, he's like helping me, you know, and we're out in the, you know, we lived in the country, so we're out in, the, out in, the, in a field, so we couldn't hit anything but air. And I think maybe the first, first thing I ever heard, held in my hand it was, a, it was a gun was a 410, a little four, I had a little 410, right? Anybody ever on look and you're little and you're shooting squirrels and rabbits and stuff with a four? Okay, sorry if anyone's offended. By that, you know, when you live in the country, it's what you do. Remember 410, and, you know, it didn't have a lot of kick to it. It's just like a, it's like a little firecracker almost, you know. It's, not, it's like not much to it. Do some damage, but it's not much. And I, but I just remember my dad, you know, okay, like this, and, you know, here and here. And, and that safety was real, real important on that thing. 
was it 12 gauge, 20 gauge, and he obviously had graduate to the 20 gauge or, or the 22 rifle and the 20 gauge and then eventually the 12 gauge. Right? And I, and, and I remember my dad showing me, you know, okay, this is, this is how you carry it when, it's, when you're not about to shoot something. Like if it's break action, you have it, have it broken and, every, and all the shells are out, right? And you're walking. And my dad was like, all right, down toward the ground. The thing's faced toward, to the ground, right? And some, some go straight up, straight down, like, you know, whatever your preference is. But I can remember my dad. Like, and I took the hunter safety course that they, they had, the local, you know, wherever they, we got the hunter safety badges from and all that stuff. And I remember them saying the same thing, straight up, straight down, like make sure you're not loaded and all this stuff. And safety, right? Safety first, kids. But I remember the, 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 the warning that my dad would give, all oh, the warnings. I'm eight years old, 10 years old, warning after warning after warning. And I give my son the same thing, a warning after warning after warning. Please, unload the thing. Unload it. Make sure it's not loaded. Make sure you're clean. when you're cleaning it, it's not loaded. Make sure when you're carrying it, it's, not, it's broken. You can see, like, it's, it, you're, you're, you're taking all the precautions to handle with care. I want to offer you two Greek words this morning that I think really explain this rightly handling the word of God this morning. The first one is eisegesis. It's not I see Jesus. Eisegesis. This is what it means. Eisegesis means the interpretation of biblical text by inserting one's own ideas or opinions into it. This is the dangerous one. It's dangerous. This is what seems to be happening in our world, especially in our churches today. We're now, we're now the word of truth is, can become, your truth is over here and my truth is over here. What, like, there is no absolute truth anymore. So we're like, ah, you know, you, you interpret it your way, I'll interpret it mine. Look, look, there can be some things in Scripture we can do that way. But there are some foundational things, y'all, that if we don't agree on, we can't call ourselves Christians. Right? When we insert our own opinions and ideas, the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know the depths of the darkness in a man's heart? So when you and I, even for one day, even in our, in our best intentions, are left to interpreting the word of God based on hunches, on gut feelings, on, on opinions, on what culture is telling us, man, we are in for trouble. We are practicing eisegesis. We are taking the word of God and we're, we're, we're wielding it recklessly. Revelation twenty two eighteen. if anyone adds anything to what is written in this book, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. Man, I do not want to be that guy. We're going to take this seriously through eisegesis. Not, that's incorrectly handling the word of God. The second word, much more compatible with the gospel, exegesis. It means the critical interpretation of biblical text to discover its intended meaning. Now, this is going to take a little work now. This is, not, this is all a hard uh, swallow for all of us. Like, it's a hard pill to swallow because this, this is like, it's not, it's just not natural for us. Some of you are not readers at all. You're like, I don't, I'm not really a reader. And I believe God will make you a reader for the sake of knowing the word of God. God will stir up in you an excitement and a desire to know his word. Exit Jesus. 
saying, we are gonna, we're going to look at this, we're going to ask the Spirit to interpret what it means, and we're going to garner the truth from it so, so that we can be edified in ourselves and share it with other people. This one's the correct one. This is how God intends us to wield the sword of truth, to know the word, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have in Christ. Our goal as disciples of Jesus isn't to know the word of truth so that we can win an argument. Too much of that going on. Too much bullhorn in the gospel into someone's ear and, and wielding the sword of truth recklessly. The goal is to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus by sharing the good news, explaining the word of truth to others in order to win souls. So don't win the argument, win souls. Don't win the argument with your Bible knowledge, with your Bible drill knowledge that you've accumulated over, the, over your lifetime. Win souls by correctly explaining the word of truth. So the first way to prepare yourself for this ministry of preaching is to know the word. The second thing is to share your story. Share your Jesus story. See, we're all called to preach the gospel in a world that desperately needs it. But you might be here, you're saying, like, how do I do that? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a good speaker. I don't even know enough about the Bible. I don't feel confident enough. I might say the wrong thing. I might lead someone astray. I'm, I might make a mistake. There are so many examples of men and women in Scripture that felt the exact same way you do right now. Moses, anyone? The great liberator of Israel, Moses, the great Moses. When we say that name, everybody goes, yes, great Moses. You know what he told God? You can't use me because I have a speech impediment. I stutter, God. How are you going to use me? I can't do anything of worth. I stutter. And God says, you let me handle that. You let me take care of that. And he used him to do something so great that it rings throughout the ages now and up to this very day. It was one of the pivotal moments in history, in the history of mankind, showing the might and the hand of God at work in the frailty of humanity, right? So, of course, you're going to feel inadequate. I think preachers ought to feel inadequate. I think I ought to never stand up here and go, I've got this figured out. I'm going to impart to you my wisdom. Heck no. I'm going, I'm... I'm wrestling with this thing too today I do not know the word of truth like I should I do not share my story my Jesus story like I should I don't get a pass for being a preacher I don't get a pass for being a youth pastor sharing sharing the the gospel on a Sunday night to my stir um, audience is does not count it does not count now it does count I'm sharing the gospel but man I need to go out and and share it with the lost and dying world with someone who desperately needs it. If you've been given life through Jesus and you've surrendered your heart to him, you have a Jesus story. Everyone who's called on the name of Jesus and accepted the free gift of salvation through his grace has a Jesus story to tell. And it's not your story. It's his story of what he's done in you. You didn't save yourself. You could not, will not ever save yourself. He pulled you out of the depths of despair, from death to life. This is my testimony. 
I want to share that. If you've experienced the saving grace of God and being transformed by it to this day, you have a Jesus story to tell. The best example I can give is this summer we went to New Orleans, Louisiana, and we need to be praying for the, the good people of New Orleans and all that, the surrounding area. Uh, we stayed at First Baptist Church of Avondale there in New Orleans, and uh, you know, when, when Ida came through, half the church, the roof of that church is gone now, and there's so much destruction there in that neighborhood, and I, my prayer is that we can go back and help them rebuild next summer. But we were all challenged on that trip from, from leader to, to, the, to the youngest student, weren't we? We were challenged to do one thing, to, our, to think about, to put in writing, write it down if you need to, to articulate, to pray about, to formulate our Jesus story, and to share it with at least one person, not in the group, before the end of the trip. It's a pretty doggone good challenge, I think. And as far as I know, every single one of those students, 40 students and eight leaders, shared their testimony, their story, with a complete stranger. Are you ready to give an answer for the hope that you have this morning? I, I, I wonder what it would look like if the church, capital C, in this church, on this block, were so moved to the place where we decided we were going to allow God to well up in us a, a love and a deep desire for the word of truth and then to share that with the world just the simplicity of the gospel. It cannot be more simple than that, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you claim to have. Now, if you have, if the hope that you have is by church attendance all your life, then that's not going to cut it. If the hope that you have goes something like this, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive. Through Jesus Christ, I have redemption, salvation, eternal life, and I have a hope for the present, the future. What would that look like? I wonder what would that look like if we really got back to the simplicity of being prepared to share the word of truth with our world, with people in our office, with people in our living room, with people across the street, coworkers, family members, Complete strangers. I wonder what would happen in this town if we decided today, all of us in here, to go out, to know the word of God and to share that with someone. To start today. You might say, I don't know the Bible very well. How can I? Start today. Get on a Bible plan. The great thing about version is you can get on there and you can, you can get it on any old reading plan and you can get straight through that scripture and, and, and you, your, your spiritual formation will Take a steep increase. You'll get jump-started on that. I wonder what it would look like if we just committed ourselves to the Word of God and committed ourselves to knowing Jesus better by knowing our Bible, the, the geography and the content of our, our Bibles, right? I wonder what would happen in our town, in our county, in our world if that would happen. Are you prepared to give a, an answer for the hope that you have? See, I don't get a pass for being a preacher. This is not my, this is not my one, one time of sharing. I'm challenged to do this as well. I have two 
application points for you this morning. Very practical. This whole message is practical this morning. You need to know the word and share the word. But here's how you do that. First and foremost, I want to challenge you to read and study your Bible this week through the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that you can rightly know and handle the word of truth. It's daunting, I know. You got to start somewhere. If you've never been a Bible reader, start in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read those red letters. They're important. Don't start in Genesis, as we always say. You won't start at the beginning. Of, you could, but I would recommend starting in the New Testament and the Gospels and then work your way back forward. So read your Bible. Study it this week. Commit to a plan every day to get into the Word, to ask God to help you to understand what it means so that you can rightly handle the word of truth. Number two, this week, have at least one meaningful, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered conversation with someone you are pretty sure doesn't know Jesus. Whether that's a family member that you've been praying for a long time, whether it's a roommate, whether it's a complete stranger. Like I said, I don't get a pass for sharing this with you today. I need to be thinking about and praying about someone that God will send me or that I've crossed paths with recently that I know needs to hear the word of truth, right? To have one meaningful, at least one meaningful, Jesus-centered conversation with someone who may not know Jesus. Know the word. Share your story. I'll ask the band to come back up, and we're going to continue in worship, but I want to... I want to challenge you this morning. I, I, I know this is, this is so, like, yeah, I've heard this before, Justin. I've heard this so much in my life. I, so many times I've heard a preacher or youth pastor tell me I need to know the Bible better. And I need to pray more and I need to do all those things. I need to check the boxes. This is not about checking boxes this morning. Folks, this is not about checking boxes. It is not about getting your daily Bible reading in so that you can feel, have your conscience appeased, that you've done your duty. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. Listen to me. Pleading. I'm pleading with everybody in the room, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing for myself. I need to know God better through his word. I need to know Jesus and his personality and his character traits. I need to see how Jesus walked and, see, and Jesus talked. I need to see it with my own eyes. I need the Holy Spirit to, to, to infiltrate my heart. I need the word of God to cut to the bone and the marrow, to the very soul of who I am, to know how to live out Jesus in my world, right? Instead of just being a good moral person and attaching Jesus' name to it, I need to rightly divide the word of truth and live that out in my world. Amen. That is a challenge that I accept this morning. I hope you'll accept it with me. It's, it's, it's been dogging me all week. Because God spoke to me and said, you know, you think sometimes you get a pass because you preach all the time. You don't get a pass. He said it in love. Spoke the truth in love. He said, Justin, you don't get a pass preaching on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. You don't get a pass for leading a Bible study on a Thursday night. You don't get a pass. There's someone or many someones in your life, Justin, that need to hear a correctly explained word of truth, and I need to step my game up. 
course, God's grace and his spirit is there to lead us and direct us and comfort us. When things are confusing, when things don't make sense. And God will illuminate scripture, the, the simplicity of the gospel, getting back to, I once was lost and now I'm found. Friends, our community desperately needs to hear this. I promise you, if we accept that challenge this morning, revival would break out in this town. In days, if not hours. You hear me? Man, let's get back to that kind of preparedness, that kind of discipleship, that kind of walking in the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the truth of your word. It cuts to the heart of man. And so we take this truth that we've heard this morning and we, we desperately want to apply it to our lives. We want it to infiltrate every part of us. We want to preach the gospel with our lives. We don't just want to hear something said by a preacher or something heard on a podcast and say, that's a good word, but you know, I'll just go live my life now. We want to be changed and transformed by it prayer this morning is that we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us in this time of reflection and worship before saying amen and going home. We worship you, Jesus, and we give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.